0: So, um, I have a question for you. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Um, Fear, by kind of like definition, is an emotion caused by a perceived danger to our well-being. And some fears are very, very legitimate. Some fears are kind of what they would call irrational. I don't have very many fears, but I can tell you that probably one of the clearest, like if someone just said, what are you afraid of? Probably the first thing that would come to mind for me Is spiders. I dislike spiders. Very much so, in fact. Um, I've never really liked spiders, but I used to give them a fair shake. Like, you know, like when people see them, I used to be like, oh, spiders aren't that bad, you know, like we should just throw it outside or whatever, like that. That was until one bit me. And see, when I was in college, I got bit on the leg by a spider and got a staph infection that almost like took the joint of my knee, like my entire leg swole up, like another half times its size, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse until I finally went to the doctor's go in, and he says, wow, that's really bad. He says, (laughs) I'm going to give you the two strongest antibiotics that I can legally give you to go home with, And he says, you have to call me in 24 hours, because if that leg doesn't look different in 24 hours, I have to get you into the emergency room to start running IV drugs, because that's how bad that was. So after that, I have nothing good to say about spiders. (laughs) I'll see a spider, and I'll smash it, and it could be outside, and people are like, it's outside. And I'm like, they started the war, I'm finishing it. (laughs) I have a mark on my knee to prove this war began. Somebody in the troops said it was cool to bite Cameron. Well, now, just because you're losing, don't start crying because another one gets stomped. But I dislike spiders, very muchly so. And uh, in in preparation for this, I was looking through some different stuff about fears, and um, I'm sure probably all you guys probably have something in your mind that you would say I'm I'm scared of. But I looked up, like, what are these, like, common, like, top ten fears? And what's interesting is it's almost the same every single time. I've looked at this once a long time ago, and I was like, it's basically the exact same information. But here's the top ten right now, they said, of, like, Not like a a really super specific fear, but like overall fears. And I like this because it kind of of counts down. So we're going to do the top ten, okay? Number ten is crowds. Groups of people. So hopefully no one today has that because you're in one right now. Number nine is thunder, lightning, and storms. Anyone scared of that? Anyone? You want to be brave? Raise your hand. Yeah. If, if you didn't raise your hand, you. Know, I, I purposely didn't ask you to raise your hand if you're scared of crowds, because that would be really, you'd be like, ah, everyone's going to turn on me. <laughs> Number eight is drowning in open water. Anyone scared of that? Yeah? I don't care for water. I like swimming in it, but being out in the middle of the ocean would probably freak me out. Number seven is blood and injuries. A scary thing. Anybody? Yeah? A little scary? Nurses out there, you can't have that. Number 6 flying. Who hates flying? I actually don't mind it, believe it or not. I don't know why I I always just fear like I always just figure like if the plane goes down, I'll be so dead. There's not even a point of being sad. You know, like it's not like if I fell off the stage, I could break my arm and it would hurt. Like if the plane goes down, I'm just obliterated and it's like, well, it's not going to hurt anyway. Number 5 confined spaces. Anybody claustrophobic? Yeah, put you in a closet, shut the door, start hyperventilating, freaking out, right? Number four, public spaces. Public spaces. They call it normally agoraphobia, and it's open spaces. Sometimes travel is linked to this, but one of the most common definitions of this is what they said is when you're in an open space, an environment like this, and you fear having something happen that you can't fix, like, say, like, you spill on yourself, and now everybody's looking at you kind of odd, isn't it? Number three, heights. Who is terrified of heights? Get you up on top of a building and look down. Anybody? Heights, go to that uh, sky deck on the Willis Tower, right? Terrific. Stand up there and look down. It'll, it'll cure you. Just a second. Actually, it's kind of funny. Brian raised his hand. Brian's on our worship team. When we were putting up lights up here, I made him climb to the top of one of these ladders. I'm like, we're gonna beat it tonight, Brian. You climb to the top, you're fine. And he did good. He actually got all the way up to the top of the stage. He was up there, and I'm really, really proud of him. So. Number two is animals. I guess that's where mine would fall in. And the most common animals would be dogs, snakes, and spiders are the most common ones. Who's afraid of snakes? Snakes are evil, aren't they? There's <laughs> in the Bible. I'm just saying. It was in the Bible. I don't know. The number one fear, the number one most common fear, people, people, social fear. Often it's uh, being in a part of a large crowd, being part of a crowd you don't know. Um, The most common aspect of this is having to speak or perform in front of a group of people having to do something where all the attention is on you. That's the number one most common fear in our culture. I think that's pretty interesting, isn't it? The number one, even above all these really you know, scary things that really could kill you, is simply being in front of people and having to perform or say something or do something. And I guess what their reaction to that is going to be. Believe it or not, they believe that over 12% of our entire population in the United States has a serious Case of this phobia. Not just like, oh yeah, I kind of don't like it, but legitimately, that about 12% of the United States literally has a real diagnosable phobia of being in these crazy pressure type situations with other people. It's a social phobia. And I think that that's really interesting because what it shows is that we are very, very concerned. We're very scared of what other people's opinions are of us. Remember that definition I gave you of fear, right? An emotion caused by a perceived threat or danger to our well-being. Interestingly enough, the most common one doesn't necessarily have to do with our, our physical well-being, but it has to do with our, with our social and our emotional well-being and the idea that when we're around people, we feel threatened in that sense. All of us deal with this in in some sense or another. And this is what I really want to focus on, because when you look at this list, this is number one. And I think, to be honest with you, a lot of us probably have this fear to some extent or another inside of our lives. Even if we we fall into one of those other ones, and and you're really like, oh, no, I'm terrified of heights. Probably this is still something that affects you in some way or another. I mean, 12% diagnosable, but I'm sure a large percentage of us, we deal with it in some way or another where it's just what we walk through on a regular basis. Um... I was thinking back to myself, and I think, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've walked through this in my life. Students, man, any of you guys who are in middle school and high school, it is like a pressure cooker, man, walking through there of this, of this social pressure, looking around and having people look at you and being so nervous. I remember, I was just talking to someone the other day, I remember when I was in high school, um, like freshman year, I remember walking in to go go to my locker, and I remember thinking, I think I walk weird. I think everyone's probably looking at me and thinking, Cameron walks weird. Like that, there's so much pressure. Like I, I feel that this like social fear. And all of us deal with this. Like if you're a student, you probably, there's, there's fear of what your, what your peers think about you, what, what you do and what you, um, you look like, what you wear. There's, there's fear about what people are going to interpret that that is what they're going to put on you. And there's just very much so this, this aspect of fear and a phobia of, of what everyone else is going to think of you. I don't really think we even grow out of it when we get out of high school, to be honest with you. We go to college and we go on to be a, a, you know, a single person growing up, getting in the workforce, whatever it is. And really a lot of the same perspective is still there. We're afraid of what our, what our friends think of us. We're afraid of what they're going to believe about us. Um, you know, We go to college and we're afraid about what our class is going to be thinking about us. Or, or really what happens really strong right about then is you get really, really nervous about what the other sex thinks about you. You're really concerned because now it's like pressure's on. Like high school was like that fun time. Now it's like, man, you know, maybe looking for a mate. And then it gets really, really, man, gets harsh because you're thinking, do girls find me attractive? Are guys looking at me? And there starts to be this really interesting social fear of thinking are people are people looking at me. We get into the workforce and surely there's a whole different uh, list of things that go with that. We're afraid does our does our boss like us? Do they do they do they think that we're a good person? Do they think that we're a hard worker? We deal with coworkers and how they react to us. And are we the are we that guy at work? You guys know that guy, don't you? You know the guy. Everyone's like, ah. Oh. So, and you're like, am I that guy? Am I the one that shows up? And everyone's like, oh, you know? And, and there's that, <laughs> some of you guys, that was a little too close to home, wasn't it? You're like, yeah. But we wonder, you know, like, what, what do our, what do my coworkers think? And, and, and um, you know, obviously, what does our family think of us? You, you start having kids, and, and maybe there's even some sort of fear in regards to how your kids perceive you. And you think, do, do they see me the way I want to be seen? You know, and, and I think we live this, Throughout our life, we walk through this on a regular basis, this, this kind of social fear. And where this becomes really, really evident is when we start talking about our faith. When we start talking about our faith, I think that it has a whole other layer to this that wasn't there before. Here, here's what I think, and I want you to get this. I'm going to read this to you because I, I just thought of this, and I think it really is clear. We have increasing... Social anxiety, phobia, and fear as our perception of our dissimilarity with a crowd increases. Let me read that again. We have increasing social anxiety, phobia, or fear as our perception of our dissimilarity with the crowd increases. The more that we feel we don't have common ground with the people, the less comfortable we feel. Let me give you an example. There's times that you will go to a friend's house, right? And you can walk in and feel 100% comfortable. You just be yourself, and it's awesome. Has anybody ever got invited to one of those parties where you only know one person? And it is the most awkward thing in the world, isn't it? You go there, and you're like, I know nobody here. And it's like, you don't know what to do. Your friend starts talking to somebody else and leaves you, and you're like... I don't know anyone. You're just like standing in a corner. You're like, hi, hi. You know, the, the more we feel like we don't have similarity with the group that we're around, the more that fear begins to increase. And where this becomes very, very real and applicable to us is people who have given their life to Jesus. And if you're a pre-Christian and you're here and you say, I'm just checking this thing out, you kind of get a pass because um, I'm really going to hammer away on the Christians for a while, so you're going to get to laugh at them for a while and be like, ha, sucks to be you. If you're a pre-Christian and you're like, I'm just checking this thing out, I think that you should listen to this because it's really interesting information. I think it's still going to be applicable to your life. But if you're a Christian, I'm really speaking to you because you're going to walk through this. You either are walking through it or you're going to walk through it. Because when we give our lives to Jesus, we find ourselves on a different wavelength than the rest of our culture. Whether it be our friends at school, whether it be our our family, whether it be our our friends at work, whatever it is, we find ourselves now on a different wavelength than what the rest of the world believes and and thinks like and and functions like. If you guys who are the pre-Christians, I'm not saying like, oh, we're better now. That's not the case. It's just we're, we're different. And here's what I mean. The world, the people of this world who live for this world, have no relationship with Jesus. They live microscope lives where they're very, very interested in all the details because this life is all they believe in. So the details, all the little pieces, the car, the house, the look, everything is very important because it's all part of this microscopic life. This is the life I have, and I make it what I want it to be. But as Christians, we begin living a telescopic life. And see, what we do is we have this life where we look through a telescope into a distant place of what our future has for us because we believe that this life is simply the first half and then we go on to eternity with God. There's a whole other part of it. And we live life through a telescope looking forward to what is ahead of us. Well, if two people looked at the same thing, one through a microscope one through a telescope, they see completely different things. And we start to have dissimilarity with our culture where we think, like, I think different than them. I feel different than them because of our faith. And this is where this, this social fear, this idea of, of having these, these situations, man, it becomes really, really present. We start to see it on a regular basis. I don't know what happens, but we give our life to Jesus, and then we go in, and we can find ourselves in really kind of, kind of three different cultures. We can find one in maybe where they just kind of, like, Nah, acceptance, you know, you can be a Christian. That's fine. No real big deal. Some of us walk into a situation where what we kind of get is we kind of get this disinterest, and it's like, yeah, that's cool for you. Don't talk to me about that. You know, that's, that's fine, whatever. I'm not trying to change you, but don't, don't talk to me about that. Yeah, and every time there's some sort of conversation that might come up or a thought that is, is spiritual, you know, people just kind of walk away from it. And they're very, very disinterested in what it is that you believe in faith and how you live. And then we can be part of cultures that are downright aggressive. And if you've ever been part of those, they're very hard to deal with. These are environments where because of our faith and the differences we have in relationship with people, it actually starts creating tension. And people will begin to not only dislike the fact that you're a Christian, but even attack the fact that you're a Christian. People will go out of their way to make a jab at somebody who is because you have faith. Or maybe they'll set up a situation to make you look like a fool. And people can downright be aggressive towards it. Actually, the opposite direction where you feel this, this strong tension from people against your faith. That's the face of fear. We walk into these situations— And we're faced with these very, very fearful social situations. And some of these you'll say, well, this is pretty realistic, Cameron. You know, I understand you're just going to talk about it like, oh, you know, how are we going to react to this? But some of these people have influence over my life. My boss can tell me whether or not I have a job. So how do I react to that? Because, yeah, I'm kind of fearful of how this is going to be taken. Maybe as a student you say, my parents, my parents aren't a Christian. And what they say is like it's law over top of me. Or maybe it's your clients. Maybe you are a business person, and maybe, maybe whenever faith comes up, it's very fearful for you because they're the way that I make money. We all face these situations in regard where we see that we're different and we have this kind of social fear moment, and then, then how do we react to it? We have to decide. Whether it be friends, family, coworkers, passing strangers. When these moments come of our faith, where we're faced with fear, how are we going to react? Are we going to hide our faith Are we going to display our faith? Are we going to shy away? Are we going to step forward? This exact same picture was happening thousands of years ago. It's really no different, believe it or not. We think it's it's because of our culture, but it's really not. We can go back to this this book called the Bible, and we see the exact same picture happening all the way back here. There's uh, Peter and John. These are guys who were disciples of Jesus's. And after Jesus had left, they were going around and they were preaching who Jesus was. And they found this guy who was crippled, been crippled for 40 years, unable to walk. And he says, can you give me money? And they said, we don't have any money, but I'll tell you what we can give you. And he says, by the name of Jesus, stand up and be healed. And the man was healed. And it created this huge uproar. They went into the temple. The man was dancing, celebrating, saying that I'm I'm healed. And everyone says, how is this man healed? How is this man healed? And they began to preach. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ. Well, the people at the time, these were the guys who had just killed Jesus, the guys who were in, in power, the, the, the religious leaders and the, and the civil leaders, and they did not like this whole Jesus thing at all. Well, they take them and they arrest them. They throw them in jail overnight, and they bring them out to stand on trial. They ask them, and they, they boldly proclaim, it's by Jesus Christ this man was healed. And they say, you can't say that stuff anymore. They said, you cannot say that stuff anymore. We're going to send you home, but if you start preaching that again, there is going to be real consequences. They're standing in the face of fear. They threaten them, and they say, you go home and you think about what you've done, basically. You come back here and you do this again. We're going to have another situation. And Peter and John leave, and they go back to the the believers, and they share everything that would happen. And what's really interesting is, is their prayer in response to this. All of this social pressure... In the face of of fear of people who could really, really hurt them. And this is what happens in uh, in Acts 4. And we're going to read verse 29. This is what it says. This is their prayer to the Lord in response to this. He says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great protection in preaching your word. That's not what that verse actually says. This is what we would pray. Say, oh Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great protection in preaching your word. That as we continue, you would keep them from being able to get to us. They threatened us and they said they'd come back and they'd destroy us. But God, you protect us. You protect us as we preach as we preach your word. And you, you stand up as, that, as that, that blockade to keep them from hurting us. That isn't what they prayed though. It says, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your service, great favor in preaching your word. That's not the right translation either. We would pray that. Lord, give us great favor as we do it. Lord, somehow let them start to like me, my boss, these people who are coming against me because of my faith. Give me great favor in preaching your word. Let them begin to like me and let them begin to think, oh, well, he's not so bad. She's not so bad. You know, I, I kind of like them, even though this whole situation happens. And now, oh, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great peace in preaching your word. And that one's not true either. So we'd pray. Lord, just, just make a way that they wouldn't notice, Lord, my faith. Make a way that as we, as we proclaim the gospel, that there would just be peace. Somehow there'd be an ambiguity where they would hear me say the words, but they'd think it meant something else and it wouldn't really stand out and it wouldn't cause this, this rift and it wouldn't cause this head-on collision. Just, just give us great peace as we, we preach your word. That's not right. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great deliverance. And preaching your word. And that's not the right translation either. But that's what we'd like to pray. We love to pray that one. God, get them. Get them. They stand in the way of your gospel. Give us great deliverance. Remove that boss that's above me, Lord, right? Get him fired. He stands in opposition of the gospel. Give us deliverance whatever our situation, deliver us from this, destroy the opposition, that would be our prayer, right? But that's not the prayer that the first disciples offered in response to this. Here's what they said. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness. Great boldness. In preaching your word. You know what boldness is? Boldness is forward action in the face of fear. Boldness is neglecting the danger that stands ahead of us and marching forward. Here's what's important for us to realize about boldness. You know what boldness changes? Nothing about the circumstance. The only thing that changes is us. They say, give us great boldness in preaching your word, they say, "Don't change the circumstances. You don't got to take that person out of power. You don't have to shield us from their threats. You don't have to insulate us from the the pain and the destruction they might bring us into our lives." They say, "But all we would ask, Lord, is give us the boldness to march into battle with your word." That was what the first church preached. That's what the first church believed. It wasn't about trying to get away from this. It was about the confidence to walk into it, the boldness to walk into it. In the face of fear, embrace it. Embrace it with boldness. That's what it's saying. In the face of fear, not to turn and run, not to ask that God would change something, not to insulate you from the problems that might come, but to stand up and face it with great boldness. It says this in, in the Bible, in Proverbs. And this is a book full of wisdom, just jam-packed, verse after verse of wisdom. This is what it says, Proverbs 28.1, The wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. He says, man, the people who live for this world, as they walk through it, they're constantly looking over their shoulder, always thinking someone's coming after them, always thinking someone's going to destroy them. But he says, not these believers, not these ones who believe in the Lord because they are as bold as lions. Man, they they see fear, the face of fear, and they just embrace it with boldness, stand up against it, refuse to back down from it. In the face of fear, we're to embrace it with boldness. Now, I know what people are thinking. How on earth can you just stand up in the face of fear and embrace it with boldness? How? Paul talks about this in, uh, in Corinthians, actually, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 3, 7 through 12, he's talking about, he's talking about the covenant that we have. And if, if you've been in the church for a little while, or even if you haven't, um, you've probably heard the idea that there's an Old Covenant and a new, te- new Covenant. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And under the Old Covenant, there was this way that, that man tried to become right with God by sacrificing animals. And it's that whole old system. And then there's the New Covenant which come which is Jesus Christ. And this New Covenant is amazing. And Here's what, what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church when he's talking to them. He says in 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 7, The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God even though the brightness was already fading away. Stop there for a second. That's a reference to the coming of the Ten Commandments. When when. Moses was literally on uh, Mount Sinai with God. When he came down, they said his face actually shone. It, It glowed because of him being in the presence of the Lord. And he says that although that wasn't like perfect, he says there was glory in that. They literally saw this, this glory of God. But he continues on saying this. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared to the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? In verse 12 he says this, Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. See, what Paul says is that we have this amazing covenant if we have a relationship with God. A covenant that literally restores our friendship with God, that we're now friends with God. And because of that, we can be so bold because the reality is, is if we understand this, if we have a relationship with him, if we understand this new covenant, he says that in the face of fear, we can embrace it with boldness because We understand our identity in Christ. We understand that our identity is rooted in Christ. And the things of this world no longer look so harsh, no longer look so scary. He says that when you walk into that situation and someone's opinion of you is less than what you would want. Someone says, I don't like that person. Normally where that might have been a fear of us is to say, why don't they like me? We say, I don't care because God likes me. And see, there's this overwhelming opinion of who God thinks we are compared to what the world thinks we are. That person says that you're this. That person says that you're this. I don't care because God says that I'm this. And see, because our identity is firmly rooted in Christ, we no longer are as concerned by what people think about us. People can say bad things about you, say something to your face, and you say, that's fine. I don't really really concern myself with what you believe about me because I know that God believes something about me. In the, in the matters of, of what's going on in our life, the, the face of fear of people who can do things in your life, you walk with a different confidence because people say, well, those people could threaten you. Those people could take away your money. Those people could get you, know, get you fired. And you say, yeah, that, that's true. But I'm less afraid of them and more respectful of the God of the universe that stands behind me. You see, their threats no longer look that scary, do they? Because the the people who are in the world say they kind of throw these threats at us in this fear. And we say, I don't think you understand because standing behind me is the creator of the universe. Standing behind me is the maker of this world. And he says in God's word that he works together all things, all things for the benefit of those who believe. So when you say, you know what, I'm going to take your job, I'll say, you go ahead and you do it if you think so. Because I know that God will take care of me. I know that God will provide for me. And we are not, no longer as afraid to step out in our faith because we realize that we have this stronger one on our side who stands with us than what the world would come against us. See, when there's fear, we can embrace it with boldness because we understand we are confident in our identity with Christ. That we know who we are. We know whose we are. And that's what's even more important than this. This is not a confidence based on my faith. It is a confidence based on the one whom my faith is placed. I have a hand grasped onto Jesus's. But I don't walk with confidence because of how good my grip is. I walk with confidence because of how good his grip is. There has been many times where I have got a a very faint grip and I've barely hung on to Jesus' hand, but I know that clutching my own hand is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that I stand in confidence because I know that Jesus has my hand, that he works for me, he works through my life, and that I can stand in confidence because I know that I am rooted in him. And that's where we get this boldness. We're no longer as afraid about what people think about us. We're no longer as afraid of the threats that they would throw at us because I know who I am. I know whose I am, in Jesus. In the face of fear, embrace it with confidence. Paul also goes on in Philippians. He's talking to uh, to the Philippian church, writing, and this is an interesting one because he wrote this this letter from jail. He wrote this letter with chains on his hands. This is what he says. I want to read you two little sections of this. Philippians 1, 12 through 14, and then I want to read you verses 20 through 21. He says this, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guards, knows that I am in in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. He continues in verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or I die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Paul's writing to the, to the Philippian church as he sits in jail. And unlike most of us, and what we think his, his comment to them would be, please pray that I would be released, please pray that this would happen, he said, the things that came against me to destroy me have actually served to move the gospel forward. Paul was the biggest influence of moving forward the church. He wrote most of the New Testament. He planted the majority of the churches. Arguably, he was the biggest catalyst after Jesus in the church. And he was imprisoned and chained, and he didn't look at his chains as opposition to the spread of the gospel. He looked at it as opportunity. See, we can embrace. We can embrace with boldness, fear, Because we understand that opposition is opportunity. Opposition is opportunity. Paul, one of the most important people who had a limited lifespan here on earth, God allowed him to be chained and imprisoned for his faith. And he said, I celebrate these chains because they're making the gospel move forward. Let me tell you this. That opposition that you face in your life is not an opposition to the gospel. In fact, without that opposition, the gospel would not move forward. The opposition is the opportunity. That opposition, that kickback, is our opportunity to stand up, to step forward, to step out and say, I do believe this, actually. Because otherwise, when would it ever come to a head? That opposition that comes from our, our friends and our family and our coworkers, that is our opportunity. And see, in the face of fear, when that comes, we can embrace it with boldness because we realize that our definition is different. This opposition is an opportunity for the gospel to move forward, for a word to be spoken of truth, for me to actually share that little bit of information that I know, that wisdom, for me to stand up and say, actually, I do believe in Jesus Christ, for me to stand up and say, actually, uh, you know, you're, you're wrong about that. Not all Christians are like that. I actually believe in Jesus that when that opposition comes, it's, it's an opportunity for us. In the face of fear, we can embrace it with boldness. What are your fearful moments? What are your fearful moments? Are you a student and it, it's, it's, it's when you go to school and your friends start having a conversation about stuff that you know you shouldn't be joining in? And you wonder, what should I do? Or maybe it's your friends asking you to go and do something or, or to, to go somewhere and, and you know that that's not respectful to your mom, it's not respectful to your dad, and, and you have to make a decision. Is it when your friends maybe ask you, why didn't you? Why aren't you? Why do you no longer? Because your life is starting to change and it's fearful to say what it actually is. For you, is, is it that whole you know, opposite sex thing? Is it that that moment where you start to like somebody and you realize they have no faith at all, they're not the right person for me, and I have to now say something about that? Is it being in college and, and that professor that we're supposed to look up to makes a very, very sharp dig against faith and starts a conversation of bashing faith and you wonder, what should I do in this moment? Should I just stay quiet? Is it us walking into our jobs and is it the fact that, that these are the people that I have to share every day with and I don't want to make it awkward and, and maybe your boss asks you to do something that is immoral or wrong in your eyes and you wonder, what should I tell him? Or maybe it's the conversation that happens around the water cooler and you really understand this is not appropriate at all for me to part, be a part of. Maybe it's something that's inappropriate. Maybe it's just gossip and tearing people down and you realize this isn't for me and do I, do I remove myself from this conversation now? because I know when I remove myself from this, it's going to ostracize me from that group. Do I not join in in making fun of that person because then I'm not going to be part of that clique? Is it the client that we work with and they bring up something of faith and we're scared to bring something up because, you know, you never talk about about religion and politics, right? Or do we see that opposition as as an opportunity in the face of that fear? For all of us, is, is it our friends? Maybe they're friends that we have right now. Maybe they're, maybe they're friends that we brought from, from before we met Jesus. And now we're, we're starting this walk with God. We're starting this walk with Jesus. And our friends really don't like who we're becoming. And they begin to create that opposition. They begin to face you where it starts getting a little scary because they're like, you know, man, you've changed. You're not the same person anymore. You don't react the same way. What's wrong with you? What's different about you? Maybe it's your family. Your family starts saying, yeah, I notice you don't hang around anymore. I notice, what, are, you, are you too good for us? Are you too good for us? Why don't you come over on, on Sunday morning when we have breakfast anymore? Why, why do you keep disappearing? Or maybe someone just flat out asks you, are you a Christian? What is, what is your, your moment of fear? What is that opposition that's going to come? You can embrace it with boldness. Boldness. You can embrace it with boldness. If you understand that me, man, my identity is rooted in Jesus. And these oppositions, these moments of awkwardness, these aren't something to to destroy friendships or make me lose my job. These are opportunities for the gospel to move forward. Maybe it's sharing that one word of truth that you know someone should hear, but you know that if you say it, it's going to change something. Can we face it with boldness? I pray that this week all of you have a moment. I pray that this week as you walk through your day, whether it's school or college or family or friends or work, all of you is going to have a moment where you stand in the face of fear. That social awkwardness, that comment, and you have an opportunity at that moment to embrace it. Embrace it with boldness and say what it is you know you should say. Say what it is you know you should do what it is you know you should do. If we all did this, it, it would change our worlds. It would change our, our environments that we live in. And I guarantee you, it would move the gospel forward. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. And Lord, I thank you. For what it is that you've you've placed in us, Lord, um, in our identity in you, that you've taken our hand and that you don't let go, Jesus, we thank you so much for what a good God you are. I ask Jesus that right now um, you'd be preparing all of us, or that you'd show us that we can be bold in our faith, that we don't have to to shrink back, that we don't have to shrug away, but that we can step up and we can stand up. And boldly proclaim, yes, I am a believer in Jesus. He's changed my life. Lord, I pray that you would grant boldness to everybody who's here. I pray, God, that this week, as they run into that moment, that in the face of fear, they would hear your words. Say, you know who you are. This is an opportunity. And that they would embrace it with boldness. Embrace the fear. Jesus, I thank you for what you're going to do. Bless all these people Lord God, in this week, I ask Jesus Christ that you would um you would help them as they walk through their days, that you would you would give them these opportunities. We just trust you with all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today.